Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to somebody who is probably familiar to many of you, and for those of you that she is not familiar to, she should be. We had her on the show to talk about her book in 2021. Uh, That book was Them Before Us, Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement, and that book actually has become the catalyst and the framework for that movement. I wrote about the global children's movement, the Them Before Us, movement in an essay uh, on the new women's movement for first things a while back uh, Katie and uh, her co-author Stephanie Ma- uh, Stacy pardon me Manning have been doing an absolutely phenomenal job on that front and if you if you want to see her running commentary you should follow Katie Faust on Twitter, because a lot of what she has to say there, the way she coherently brings together her opposition to in vitro fertilization and abortion and gender ideology targeted at kids is just phenomenal. And I think a lot of Christians and conservatives would have a far easier time advocating for their perspective if they followed her lead on how to discuss this. And so I was very enthusiastic when I found out that she had another book coming out, also with her co-author Stacey Manning, and that is a book called Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City, Teaching Historical, Economic, and Biological Truth in a World of Lies. Now, this book is incredibly handy for a bunch of reasons. She's almost made me shift my perspective somewhat on where you send your kids, although not entirely. But regardless of whether you homeschool your kids, whether you send your kids to a Christian school, or whether you send your kids to a public school, I really do think that this book needs to be read by all parents who are seeking to proof their kids and prepare them for what the world is going to chuck at them. Because I don't think that anybody who listens to this podcast is unaware of the state of our culture these days. And as such, I think a lot of you are probably wondering what resources you can best use to equip your kids. This book is one of those resources that I'll be recommending to people whenever they ask me that question. Again, it's Raising Conservatives in a Woke City. And this is my conversation with Katie. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So the first question I had uh, reading Raising Conservatives in a Woke City was what made this a natural follow-up to your last book? You know, uh, I don't know if it was a natural follow-up from the first book. It is a natural extension of my world. I'm very passionate about two things. When it comes to how culture, law, and technology are changing in the world, my gut response is don't touch the kids. Leave the kids alone. Kids have fundamental natural rights. They have longings and desires that need to be respected. Whatever's going on in your own personal world, adults, don't touch the kids. But I'm also very engaged and passionate about something else. And that is when it comes to what's happening in the world, don't touch my kids, leave my kids alone. And so the second book is really the philosophy of my co-author, Stacey Manning and I, and um, are obviously uh, the misters who contributed quite a bit to this child rearing enterprise. Um, It's really our philosophy on, even though our kids are raised in what is arguably the most most progressive city in the country, Seattle, and they've largely gone to public schools, we don't fear for our kids. They are standing on their own they have a robust understanding of the world and how it works. Um, we are not afraid of what the world is telling them because we know that they cannot be they cannot be captured by what the world is selling them because we have already filled them up. They have feasted on goodness and truth and beauty 
and they have been introduced in age appropriate ways to the distortions that the world is going to try to sell them on all of these different social issues, matters of um, human dignity, uh, his history, history and economics. Like we have found a way to inoculate them against the woke virus. And wherever I go, you know, whether it's at the park with my kids or whether it's on major national platforms, I will talk about my first book and how it's so critical to defend the rights of children. And especially when it comes to marriage and family, how to think correctly about all these forms of modern family. And almost always people say, but how do we talk to our kids about this? Like that is kind of the number one question that we go, but how do we make sure that the world doesn't capture our kids? And so that's what the second book is about is like, we have kind of discovered a philosophy, not a new philosophy, really just some recycled tried and true uh, parenting principles applied to our current moment that has allowed collectively the seven children between our two families to stand firm. So that's what the second book is about is like, how do you replicate your worldview in your kids, even when everything's against you? I have so many questions. I don't know where to start. Um, I, I I wanted to kind of get into how you define conservatism for your kids. But the, the first thing I kind of wanted to ask, so I, the, the books that I read right in a row were, uh, the, I just read the uh, Parents um, with Inconvenient Truth About Trans book, which is like, uh, you've probably heard of their Substack newsletter. There's almost daily newsletters coming out with parents whose kids have gotten sucked into the gender cult. Um, and it's, it's everything. It's, you know, there's gay parents, there's every imaginable kind of family, and they're kind of describing how their kids have gotten sucked into this through, um, through social media at school, sort of the gender ideology training, all these kinds of things. Um, I've read most of the books written in North America on abortion, and this book was probably even more horrifying than those. That's how kind of chilling it was. And the one question I had went, cause you know, you got the, the no flinch rule, um, which I thought was phenomenal. That's how my parents reacted to all the horrifying questions I asked them in, in, in my early teens, um, and, and the handoff and things like that. And I'm wondering though, because I read these books in a row, um, is it possible that you can do everything to inoculate your kids, but that the gender cult in particular is so powerful that that inoculation can be ineffective. And, and the reason I ask this is, is I will admit that reading roughly 350 pages in a row of these stories is <laughs> kind of gives you a darker tint on this, but I was wondering, I mean, you spend a lot of time in this space as well. So it, will there be parents who read this book um, or hear you talk and think, ah, too optimistic though, because these schools really are that dark. Yeah. Children are not robots. Okay. I, that's, we are not raising, um, automatons that will do every single thing that we say. Um, we are re raising creatures with free will and who are going to have a variety of different personalities um, and who are going to respond to the world differently. Um, there are no guarantees in parenting. I personally, my husband and I know some parents that I would say are better parents than we are in terms of devotion and and connectedness with their kids whose children have gone through some very challenging and dark times thank god are seem to be coming out the other side of it but in parenting there's no guarantees um and we do say at the beginning of the book like we're not even all the way through this parenting gig uh one of our kids could turn out to be a bernie bro and then we will just eat a lifetime of crow but there are there's you there who have a lot more control and a lot more power and a lot more influence than you think especially if you can get to your kids first, um, you know, that's a huge principle in the book is you have to 
make sure that you establish yourself as the authority on all these different matters. My guess is the kids who were getting sucked into this um, gender ideology world did not have their parents as the dominant or the the primary, the ones that told them first about what was going to happen when it comes to the distortions around male and female sex and gender that the world was going to throw at them. You know, either they kind of sloughed it off, like the liberal parents, I'm sure were like, hey, diversity, and we just respect everybody's choices. The conservative parents probably largely shelter, 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 shelter. And the reality is you need this, this hybrid, you need this balance of, we are going to saturate you in the true and the beautiful related to male female differences we're going to understand anatomy we're going to understand how mom why moms and dads are different what that looks like in the world how babies are made you know and then the the chromosomal aspects of things i mean we're going to drill down on that and then we are also going to when you have questions especially but we are also purposefully going to say hey even if you're third or fourth grade hey there are some people that think that boys can become girls now, that's a problem because our feelings don't dictate whether or not we're male or female, right? Our body dictates whether we are male or female. And it's very harmful if a boy tries to become a girl through medicine. So if you ever have questions about that, you can always come talk to me, right? That's the little drop of truth you're doing with kids in elementary school. And I talk in the book about uh, my youngest son, who was a third grader. I didn't even have these like direct personal conversations with him. He was just getting it secondhand and thirdhand through his older siblings. You know, he comes home one day from his public third grade school and says, hey, my, my teacher said that boys can wear dresses. And I said, what do you think about that? And he thought really hard and he goes, a boy can wear a dress, but that doesn't make him a girl. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. Why not? And he thought again, and then he finally just like exasperated. He's like, he would need to change every cell in his body. And I'm like, that is right. That's exactly right. So that's the thing. It's like, I didn't, I didn't share so much information about, we weren't talking about like brain problems with puberty blockers and double mastectomies. And I wasn't going into the details yet about Jazz Jennings and his horrific surgery as a result of transitioning early. He knew enough to spot the lie. He had heard enough to know that something in the world was going to come at him that was going to distort the lie. And then he could stand up against the lie and process it. And he had a mom and a dad who he knew would not freak out if he came home and said, this is what my teacher said to me. So there are no guarantees in this parenting gig. There aren't. There's a bazillion factors, but there are principles that if you apply them seriously and early, early, that you actually can raise kids who the friction of the world will sharpen their worldview rather than grind them down. It's really interesting because you're in Seattle, right? I am. Yeah. I was born in Seattle. Um, there's, you know, sort of books being written about Seattle these days as sort of the ground zero I remember, I don't know if the stat is still accurate, but at one point it was the most unchurched city in America. I don't know if that's still true. Yep. So when you talk about public schools, so there will be a lot of parents that are listening to this who will not be completely sure what to think of the idea of sending your kids to a public school in Seattle. And so I had a couple of questions about that because there was a few things. A lot of the rules um, that, that you kind of laid out, actually it, it kind of emphasized to me what a good uh, a good job my parents did. Um, especially when I was looking at, um, chapters three, four, five, and uh, six and seven, 
Um, you know, even, even chapter eight, when it like stay connected, when I look at the way my dad took sneaky opportunities just to have conversations with me, that it took being an adult to look back and be like, that's why he came out when I went out and had a smoke and just talked to me and didn't talk about smoking or anything, just chatted. He was using that to kind of have that conversation. And so it was sort of interesting being like, okay, that's what it looks like to have it all written down. But one of the, the primary things that any parent will bring up and I know you know this, is okay. So if we send our kids to public school, what this does is it removes the timing of these conversations out of our hands because we're going to be on the public school's schedule to a degree because we have to beat the public school in being the the, the being the program for these kids. So um, with gender, it's kind of easy, right? Like my, uh, my kids knew the story of Adam and Eve and had those chapters of the Bible pretty much committed to memory before they were three or four. That's kind of easier. But there's a lot of other subjects now um, I don't know what the curriculum in Seattle looks like, but I know what it looks like just across the border in, in, in Vancouver. I'm guessing it's not a whole lot different. How early do you have to start with some of this stuff then, not just on the foundational stuff, but on the explicit rebuttal stuff, because they're going to be getting books about transgender crayons and um, not just uh, the, the boys and dresses thing, but books that are a lot more explicit than that if Seattle's anything like Vancouver or Toronto. So you have control... You, okay, so first of all, you're the primary educators of your children. People ask Stacy, my co-author, they're like, why didn't you homeschool? She goes, I do, I do. We are the school. We outsource some of it to the public schools, but we are the school. And so we do get to our kids first, you know, that's part of the principles here. Now, what you need to do is we are not saying go in when we are not saying, hey, talk to your kids about same sex marriage and go into all the details about anal sex and blah, blah. No, we are saying you have to introduce the principal to your kids first. And let me tell you, I've got friends whose kids are homeschooled, kids that are private schooled. You also need to get to your kids first. These kids are also hearing that, you know, two girls can marry one another. And, um, you know, that that black kids, you know, that, that black kids are victimized and oppressed more than white kids are victimized and oppressed. I mean, these ideas are seeping into our kids' world, regardless of what kind of school you are sending them to. And so here's the, here's the reality. We should not have to talk to our third and fourth and fifth graders about porn. Mm -hmm. It's yep. an insane culture that we live in, but somebody will talk to them about porn. So get this idea out of your head that if you don't talk to them, they won't know. The reality is somebody's going to talk to them and whoever talks to them, they will automatically consider the expert on that subject and go back to that person for more information in the future. So I want to empathize with parents and say, yes, you're right. It's awful that you have to talk to your kids and just at least give them a heads up that porn exists, right? Or that somebody's going to be lying to you about American history or Canadian history or the principles of, you know, the founding of your nation, Western civilization. Um, that is awful. But that's the world that we live in. So you either recognize the conditions on the ground and deal with them, or you will, with the blinders, hand your kid over to be discipled by the culture. So there's a phrase in there that we quote from our, our friends at Canavox, which is another great organization that I'm connected to, better a year too early than five minutes too late. Okay, you do have to get to your kids early and these conversations will be uncomfortable. But the way that we are talking with your kids, our kids is not a way that violates their innocence. The other side will talk to your kids about sex and gender, right, in a way that violates their innocence through a drag queen story hour reading at the library or whatever. You're going to talk to your kids in a way not that violates their innocence, but that makes them wise. So there's a difference, right? The way that we talk to our kids makes them wise, gives them a heads up, strengthens the connection that we have between our, our kids, makes them know that we are a reliable source of information that they can always come to. 
the way the world is going to do it will shred them, will distort them. Okay. So you have to get ahead of that train. So I agree with with every word you said, and I think that uh, a lot of people who homeschool especially should probably um, take this to heart because I think a lot of people think, well, we're doing this, so that's out there when I can, like I talked to a thousand kids about porn uh, two weeks, like just this month alone, probably 2,700 kids so far this year. Homeschooling kids get addicted at roughly the same rate as anybody else. And in fact, often they're using tech more often than kids at school because it's part of, it's, it's part of their program. So I agree completely, but like you, you kind of mentioned otherwise a drag queen will tell them. And, I, and I'm interested in this just because I know, so the, the, the Toronto District School Board, um, said parents can opt out a drag queen story hour at school now, and LGBT activists are actually suing, claiming the position of the Toronto Star is that it's a human right for them to do so. If you're sending them the kids to school, what are the chances they're not going to see that anyways? Well, so like you actually have quite a bit of, I would say, in our experience, you've got some control over what's happening in public schools. We've opted our kids out. We have written teachers and said, don't talk to my kids about this. You know, we have seen, we've said, we want to see the curriculum ahead of time. You send us what you're going to teach our kids. And then we'll say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to address those. If this needs to be addressed, we're going to do it with our kids. We don't want them to be in this lesson. And so we actually think, so in, so here, here's the broad philosophy of the raising conservative kids in elementary school, as much as possible, you filter out the distortions. And you do still have some levers of control at your disposal, even if they're in public school. You filter out the distortions. The, the job in elementary school is to saturate your kids in truth and beauty. You are hitting all of these topics hard. You're just doing it from the perspective of this is what we are for. This is the good. This is the true. This is the beautiful, right? It's what we call you're honing their straight stick. You're telling them exactly what it is that they should believe on all these conservative topics, whether it's life, parental rights, male and female, freedom of religion, um, founding principles, what it means, you know, to racial issues, right? You're hitting a free market, right? You, that is the time in elementary school where it's truth and beauty and you're filtering out as much distortion as possible. Middle school, you introduce the distortions. You introduce the way that the world is going to give them crooked ideas about the nature of man, the nature of history, the nature of the economics, right? That is where you, the parent, drill down, not just give them a heads up that it's coming. You did that in elementary school. Now you make them an expert on abortion and same-sex marriage and transgenderism and socialism. You know, we say, like we quote D.L. Moody, who says, you don't know how crooked a stick is until you lay a straight stick next to it, okay? So you want your kids to have straight sticks on all these conservative topics. And then in middle school, you say, let's look at all the crooked sticks and how they measure up. Okay. And so in middle school, regardless of whether they're homeschool, private school, or public school, we tell our middle schoolers, I expect you to know more about this than anyone else. I expect when you walk into a room and there's a debate about abortion, you're the expert. I expect that if your teacher talks to you about sex and gender, you're the expert. Maybe not enough to publicly debate the teacher, but enough to spot the lie, come home, get equipped, and go back and stand unflinchingly. And then in high school, a lot of people think, well, in high school, that's when we're really going to equip them. It's too late. I mean, in high school, developmentally, they're not wired to be taught right and wrong. And they've already heard everything, all the distortions the world's going to throw at them. In high school, your job as a parent is stay connected. Like I, I had our, my book launch last Tuesday 
And um, normally that's the day when you load up all of your biggest interviews and all of your, you know, your presentations on big platforms. And I spent like four hours in the car outside of my son's golf match because he needed a ride. And that is what you do in high school. You drop everything if your kids need to be with you. If they ask something for you, your job is to stay connected because they already know the truth. They've already been acquainted with the distortions. Now what they need is they need maximum emotional connection with you. So they know they can come back to you and say, hey, I got this assignment and I'm not sure how to complete it with integrity. Or you wouldn't believe you know, what my classmate said about X, Y, and Z. And I really, it really disturbed me and I wanna talk with you about it. Like that is the time where they're going to learn to articulate for themselves, stand firm on their own, but, but they still need you, right? They still need you to be the emotional support. So that's sort of the framework, you know, of how in our view, you inculcate a worldview that is robust um, and, and durable in your kids. So you can do that whether your kids are private, homeschool or public school. So for a parent who's listening to this and thinking, all right, I'll, if I want to try to do that, and I hope that, that, that everybody listening would aspire to do exactly what you're describing. And I would also agree with you that everybody should be homeschooling their kids, rather that, whether that's their sort of primary curriculum or in addition to, because regardless of whether or not you're, you're sending your kids to a Christian school or whether you're sending them to a public school, the amount of things that they have to know, um, as you just detailed, is, is through the roof. What happens when they go back to school and they articulate the sorts of things they've been taught at home? Like you may have heard the story here in Canada of Josh Alexander, who got literally suspended from his school and removed by the police for saying there were two genders in class. He didn't swear. He wasn't crude. Um, he wasn't abusive to anybody. Um, he was blunt, but I'm 35 and, and I don't think what he said would have been considered blunt when I was 16. Um, at, at school. And so I'm curious, and, 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 and it works to ask you this because you're not going to a public school in small town, Arkansas, you're sending your kids to a public school in Seattle. And so I assume it's a lot more uh, analogous, it, like Seattle's less church than some of the big, the big Canadian cities. So would you tell your kid, you need to know for yourself, or would you actually tell them, no, you should be standing up on this. You should be actually making a defense and you should be potentially willing to take the consequences at school during your education, which potentially could turn your high school education to a bit of a culture war. How do you navigate that? Well, we talk in especially high school in the chapter on high school, part of what you're doing, part of the reason why you need to stay connected to your kids is they need help knowing which battles to fight. You know, largely our girls, I mean, really all, we have three girls between us, between my co-author and I, they are experts but they're not necessarily out there looking to do battle all the time. And sometimes they need a little encouragement to, you know what, this is probably the place where you just need to say something, honey. Our sons, the four sons between us, um, they'll battle everywhere all the time. Like they won't take crap from anybody. They're willing to burn any bridge. They're willing to fight any teacher. And so part of what you do in terms of being the consultant in high school and staying connected is calibrating, hey, you know, you might need to, this might not be a battle that's worth fighting. You know, maybe you need to, to save your ammunition for, you know, your big assignment that's coming up. But we do say, you know, we talk about there. So part of what you're doing in high school, you're, you're helping them decide. They have these convictions. They're ready to speak. They're ready to act, or at least they know what they think. 
what do you do with that? When do you speak up? And the truth is, this is something that adults have to figure out too. All of us are figuring out, do I really need to respond to that Twitter troll? You know, do I, what do I do at work? My work is asking me to state my, my pronouns in my bio. I mean, like, this is actually a pretty critical skill that all adults need to learn as well. When do I speak up? When do I be silent? When do I quit? When do I fight? You know, when do I take it straight to the boss? And so you're going to help your child in high school really decide, what do I do with these convictions? And I think that all of our high schoolers, let me think about this. I think all of our high schoolers have had something where they said, I stand firm, even if I stand alone, even if I get a bad grade. And they all have at some point taken it, you know, socially, academically for standing firm. And let me say, it does not wear your kids down. It, it fortifies them, especially if they have parents standing behind them, especially if they've got one or two conservative friends who will say, I'm going to stand with you on that. Um, but there is something about standing for your convictions that, I mean, I think that we think, oh no, this is going to destroy them. When it's their choice, when they're confident in what they believe, when they know they're being asked to do something that is unjust, right, to advance an idea that actually is damaging or destructive, and they choose to stand firm on their own. I mean, look out, world, look out. Like, this is the kind of courage that we need to be engendering in the general population, and you have a chance to cultivate that in kids while they are still under your roof. We, you don't just go from, hey, I don't know anything about the world, I'm totally sheltered, you know, all I've been, all I know is truth and beauty to, being an adult who's willing to navigate the challenges of, of the HR department in your corporation, you actually have to cultivate that. We have something in the book, chapter five, called the slow handoff. And it's really like, how do you slowly hand this worldview off to your kids? And it's actually a discipleship model um, so that they don't go from zero to, they can't go from zero to 60. Hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian and you know I understand these conservative principles too. Now I can challenge a, an aggressive adult who's telling me that I need to lie to get a good grade on a paper. You, you have to cultivate that over years. And so we kind of, we describe how to, how to have that slow worldview handoff in the book. So that, that brings me to one question that I know a lot of parents will be, will, will be interested in. Um, one of the things I think that a lot of conservative Christian communities and especially homeschooling communities have gotten wrong over the years is it portrays it downplays the allure of what the secular world has to offer, right? And because these things are intrinsically ugly, because they're intrinsically sinful, um, because because these things, because the adults are kind of look, looking at the consequences of what they do, they downplay play why. I think of, uh, for example, like, you know, particularly poisonous comedy sitcoms. Like people don't watch them because they're poisonous. They watch them because they're well put together, because they're like there's a lot of hilarious humor in them, because the people are attractive, because the chemistry of the actors and the actresses is really good. And the overall effect of this show might be culturally a poisonous. It might be selling something horrifying. But if you just tell kids this is all dark and evil and then they get exposed to these things, they're like, actually, I, I really like this stuff. These movies, these these TV shows, this stuff, it's all very it, it feels good to me. Um, and so too often we just sort of like give them the conclusion, right? This stuff is bad. Don't do X. And then you throughout your book 
and in this conversation, and in a lot of what you say on, on social media, you always talk about cultivating goodness, truth, and beauty as the antidote to turning them off of, of the secular stuff that they're going to be given later. Give me a couple of examples of what that would look like practically. Like if you want to get your kid hooked on genuine beauty, how would you start with that? And what would that look like when they're a teenager and they're going through puberty? How, how, how would you navigate that? So the truth and beauty comes first. So that's very, very important. Like the truth and beauty comes first. They are wired up until, so we, what we do with the way, the reason why we break up elementary, middle school and high school is because that's how classical educators break up the developmental stages of learning, right? The grammar, logic and rhetoric. So grammar is learning the rules of each subject matter. So when it comes to worldview formation, you are teaching them the truth and beauty, the rules of each of these conservative principles that we lay out in chapter one. So the truth and beauty has to come first. They have to have a very solid understanding of what they believe about, you know, if you're looking at it from the Christian perspective, who God is, who Christ is, who we are in Christ. This is the time to make them memorize books of the Bible, right? They are wired to just take information in uncritically. In middle school, the switch flips and now they start to say, but how do you know? But what if we're wrong, right? That's when you see them start, you know, and a lot of parents freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, they're doubting their faith. They're heading towards the world. That's actually just an indication that they've moved to the second phase of learning. And they are now ready to be equipped with all of these distortions, right? Really, really understand the distortions of the world. And so we, people will say, how can you send your kids to public school? And I will say that what the public schools have done for us is they have stolen <laughs> the culture's ability to frame these ideas as something that's good and true and beautiful. It serves as a bit of a foil for the Christian worldview. If you're just operating in theory or in ideology and you hear a boy can become a girl, um, it, if there's no contact with reality, you can look at that and say, that sounds really good. But when you're actually in the world and you're watching these kids who have transitioned and you see how horribly depressed they are, how sad they are, how they're, they're on these interventions and they are more depressed than they were before. When you are in a world where a lot of people are defining themselves based on their sexual identity and even the people that are gay and lesbian are getting pregnant, right? The people that are gay and lesbian are getting pregnant or having abortions. Um, and they are not well. And you see the people who um, have decided that, you know, swallowed the lie in Seattle that, you know, if it feels good, do it. Um, and now they are vaping and smoking and on pot all the time and having psychological breakdowns because of it. Um, if you hear like, oh, we need to have more compassion for the homeless and you're driving past tent cities daily, multiple tent cities, where people are slumped over half naked on the sidewalk. Like it, what it does is it reinforces the goodness of the Christian and the conservative worldview. Further, like they can't ask questions. They know that if they go to school and they challenge the narrative, they had better be ready for a massive blow up. But if they go to home or if they go to church and they ask questions, they know that they are going to be heard. They're gonna get great answers. They're gonna be taken seriously. Like the school and the world is not the place that is going to allow them to think freely and to challenge these ideas. But home and church are the places where they can think freely. And so it actually, they see more clearly, I would argue, 
that what the world is promising them is empty because they see the fallout all around of these woke ideas. So I know that it's risky. And I actually, we don't actually recommend, hey, you should send your kids to public school. We think you should inculcate your worldview in your kids regardless of where they go to school. But I will say, because our kids do have this very firm foundation in their faith and in terms of a conservative way of looking at the world, the public schools and what they're seeing on social media or in their classroom simply reinforces the goodness of what they learned when they were younger. For a few, uh, for, for some of the parents listening, so like the first thing, obviously, I, I, I really think people should for, should get this book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. But throughout this book, you refer to various resources and you talk about the way, the things that you've used uh, to raise your kids in a woke city. What are some of the resources you would recommend that parents go take a look at? Well, I think one of the things that is the easiest is find great podcasts. Um, whether it's Christian worldview podcasts, whether it's political or or cultural commentary. And while your kids are young, one of the easiest things that I did is I just listened to podcasts with them. And they would walk in to Ben Shapiro or they'd walk in to Breakpoint or they would walk in while I was listening to an in-depth interview of Jordan Peterson with somebody who's debunking climate change or whatever it is. And whatever I heard, they heard. And so even when they were in elementary school, they heard these words, you know, they could listen and they would know, even if I hadn't directly said um, chemical abortion to them, if they heard chemical abortion, they'd say, oh, my mom listens to stuff like that. And so they're, if they're hearing what you're hearing, um, it's, it's so much easier than saying, now we're going to sit down and have a conversation about the cause, you know, factors that can lead to homosexual attraction. You know, like they're just listening to what you're listening to. So um, I think that that's critical. Um, we also have always sent our teenagers to something called Worldview Academy, which is a sort of one, one week in the summer worldview training. And it's, it's, starts in middle school. So you have to get to the truth and beauty first. But that was one tactic that um, our kids always went every summer and came back going, okay, everything that you've been telling me is validated by these people who actually are now giving me a larger framework, a way to think about the world, and then tactics of how to talk to the world about these things. Um, and so like we, rec you know, we say Worldview Academy is incredible, um, but you have to Worldview Academy them the other 51 weeks out of the year. Um, a lot of biographies, you know, we have our kids read biographies about people who lived, grew up in like communist eras, right? So that you can say, you're not going to be sucked in by the socialist utopia narrative. You're going to have some real contact with people who lived through it. So that when somebody says, hey, central planning, yay, you know, you go central planning, death, Okay. So there's a lot in there. You know, we kind of pulled out all the different things that we've used throughout, especially in um, elementary school and middle school to lay the straight stick for your kids and then introduce them to the crooked sticks when they're in middle school. Um, but the truth is that if you are, if you're a conservative Christian and you're listening to LifeSite News and reading Jonathan's um, stuff, you don't really need to look a lot further include them on what you're already reading, right? Like if you're reading a great book or listening to a great podcast, you just pull them into what you are already doing, especially in elementary school. And then in middle school, what you, if you're listening to something that 
really diagnoses the distortions, like the book that you just read and probably will write a review about of how kids get sucked into this. Man, you listen to, let your middle schoolers get in on some of that and say, wow, listen to how social media has influenced these kids. Look at how it lied to them about who they are. Check out the fallout that these 18 and 19 year olds are now experiencing because they were on testosterone for two years and it destroyed their uterus and whatever it is. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to do a lot of newfangled things. If you're engaged in these topics, you just pull your kids into your world and they will also be engaged on these topics. So on that subject, before uh, before I let you go, because uh, many of our listeners will remember that I've had you on the podcast before to talk about your previous book, um, your book, which is also, it, it kind of lays the foundation, the framework for, for a movement, a children's rights movement. Some of you might remember that I wrote about this in an article on the new women's movement for first things where I talk, I profiled, uh, the movement, uh, that you and your co-author are working with in addition to the, the movement of detransitioners. And actually, I think there's a lot of overlap now between all these movements. There's the trafficking hub, Layla Micklewaite going after porn hub. There's Chloe Cole, who's the most prominent of a growing number of detransitioners. Um, there's, there's, your movement, which is really focusing on on putting children first and respecting their rights. And so um, I can't help but ask for uh, for an update. How are things going with this? Because the last time uh, we spoke, there was chapters of this cropping up around the world. Um, and there are things happening that are using the premises laid out in your book in Italy, for example, where they're where they're going after surrogacy now explicitly because they want to respect the rights of children. So where is everything? Where's everything at? Um, more influence than we deserve, I guess, is the summary <laughs> there. Um, we are um, on the advisory board for Jordan Peterson's new project, the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, which they talk about it in very um, erudite language. And I just summarized ARC as the righteous inverse of the World Economic Forum. That's really what, <laughs> that is what ARC is going to be, the same level of global influence, but instead of top-down elites pressing, you know, human destroying narratives, it is going to be calling individual citizens to responsibility on their own in ways that lead to human flourishing. So we are about to publish in the next week, um, our, our research paper that we did for them, which is about 27 pages long, really informing all of the delegates and everybody that's associated with ARC of how children's rights in the family specifically, their rights to their mother and father have been deconstructed by culture, law and technology. And then how we can leverage those same mechanisms to reinforce and rebuild children's rights to their mother and father. And <clears throat> there will be no social fabric. There is no social fabric that we are going to be able to rely on as a society, unless we can get these stitches of children's connections to their own mother and father exactly right. So we are, I am amazed uh, that we have been grafted into that movement. And um, people would always ask me, what are you trying to do with them before us? And my short answer is global takeover. I'm gonna take over the globe. It is going to be child-centric conversations about marriage and family everywhere and every country. But I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to happen. Now I totally know how it's gonna happen. <clears throat> it's gonna happen through um, ARC um, and their influence. But we also are have some video curriculum coming out because a lot of times churches are compromising on sex and marriage uh, because it seems mean. <clears throat> oh, it's so mean to have these restrictions about how adults can participate in sex, whether it's premarital sex, 
um, whether it is no-fault divorce, whether it is same-sex marriage. But the reality is that God's design for sex and marriage isn't mean. It is the primary way that we can extend child protection to every child on the globe. So we have a video curriculum coming out specifically for churches next year that connect our natural law, social science framework of child protection to um, biblical principles. And we also have, um, we're going to be developing HR benefits that center the child when it comes to um, health benefits that corporations are going to be offering their employees. A lot of times the family building um, benefits that they are offering <clears throat> lead to the violation of children's right to life or right to their mother and father. We are going to be creating a framework that honors the rights of children, their right to life, their right to their mother and father for any corporation that wants to be able to say, we actually prioritize child rights and well-being when it comes to our corporate benefits. We're also going to be making a satirical video. Oh, I can't wait. That is going to reinforce that program. Um, we, all, we also have a legal uh, program that's going to start next year where we are going to, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to continue to fight bad laws because there's a lot of bad laws that are coming up. But we actually are going to try to retake ground on the marriage issue. Right now, I don't know of any other organization, and I've talked to several, even ADF and Heritage, um, who are trying to overturn Obergefell, and we're going to. We're going to do it in a way that is unlike how we've done it before, because how we've done it before has been ineffective. We continue to lose on the topic of marriage, both in terms of how we message it, but also how we advocate for it in law. So we are going to do it differently. So we are um, making some incredible inroads that I am amazed by. Um, and this is how it needs to be. It is actually a matter of civilizational survival at this point about whether or not we honor the rights of children and the threats coming for kids in the cultural, the legal and the technological are going to take us to some incredibly dystopic places where children are going to be even more victimized than they have been through our current cultural moment. And so we have to get very serious about child protection, especially in the areas of marriage and family, because if we cannot do that, um, individual children are doomed and that means all of society is doomed as well. Final question: Where can where can people get all, uh, all of your work? I know you have you have places where they can go and they can see what you're up to online. They can see where your books are. Where where should people visit? The best place is thembeforeus.com. Go to the bottom and subscribe. You will stay up on all the projects that we have going on. We are we are going to we take no prisoners. We are going to advocate on behalf of kids no matter what. And you should be there. You should join us. You should join us. You know, we've got a new podcast, so you'll get all of our podcast episodes that are coming out. You will be on the front line of being able to be equipped. Um, we need you. We need you. We just need ordinary moms and dads to get in on this with us because you tend to be the best champions for kids. Um, Raising conservative kids in a woke city is available at all places where books are sold. But in terms of children's rights advocacy, thembeforeus.com is the place to get it all. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Katie Faust, the co-author with Stacey Manning of Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City, Teaching Historical, Economic, and Biological Truth in a World of Lies. Those of you who would like to subscribe to more conversations like this one or check out past conversations, like I mentioned, we've had Katie on the show before, please head over to LifeSiteNews.com, click on the podcast tab, you'll find all of our shows there. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.